Hello and welcome to Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd with me, Hannah Crosby. For the first six episodes of this podcast, we'll be delving into the world's most important fine wine regions. We'll be talking to our buyers and account managers as they share their insights and tips to help you enjoy and build your fine wine collection in 2022. In this week's episode, I'm discussing the complex and brilliant wines from the world-famous region of Bordeaux with buyer Max Lalandrelle and fine wine account manager Henrietta Gulliver. So grab a glass of something good as we dive into one of the world's most renowned regions and we learn what Bordeaux we should be opening in 2022. Max, Henrietta, thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with me to explore how we can best enjoy and build our Bordeaux collection in 2022. Max, let's start by introducing you to our listeners. Tell us a bit about your journey through the wine industry and how you came to be our Bordeaux buyer at Berry Brothers and Rudd. Well, mine was um, a bit easy in a way because I, I was born and now it's south of Bordeaux. My parents had, uh, had some vineyards in the, in the Armagnac region of, uh, um, of the south of France. And uh, so naturally I gravitated to, um, to the liking of, uh, of the grapes and of the juices. Wasn't too keen on the spirit side, but, uh, but definitely on the, on the wine side. And, uh, and Bordeaux was an hour drive, so I went out to do my university degree in wine and, and, then, uh, and then looked for a job. So sadly, we had to do a military service uh, still in these days. So it doesn't show my age, I hope. But, um, <laughs> and so I, I had to do that, to do that bit. And, and at the same time, I, um, I, found, a, I found love, uh, which, uh, which brought me to the UK. And uh, I've been here since 1993. Oh, amazing. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of my my journey into the UK, and then obviously the only thing that I knew when I arrived was uh, was anything to do with wine. So I, I worked in in the restaurant industry to start with, uh, as I was uh, um, learning um, the language, um, and uh, gradually moved into different retail environment, and then eventually in two thousand, the fourth of September to be precise, uh, I joined Berry Brothers. Amazing, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. Within within the company, obviously, had different uh, different jobs and occupations, uh, and uh, and gradually made my way into the the job that I have today, which is effectively running the whole of the buying team. So looking after the purchasing from uh, New Zealand all the way to Spain, Portugal, and uh, and see the, the big regions of France, uh, and all the way as far as the the states and and Argentina and all these places. So yeah, so quite an interesting interesting job best job in the world some people might say yeah it's always the same isn't it um but it's uh, it's not as glamorous as it sounds sadly (laughs) and henrietta you're one of our fine wine account managers could you tell us a little bit about how you work with our clients and accounts to build their perfect sellers yeah so um i have a range of clients one of um one of several in the company um who work closely with private clients to build collections um and they really are collections because whilst a lot of people are Um, buying to invest. Everybody is quite passionate about wine and most people have a collection which spans, you know, a bit of champagne, a bit of white wine, a bit of red. But we do focus quite heavily on on Bordeaux as a region, uh, just because it is fantastic for both drinking and investment. Wonderful. Well, let's loop around to what you were saying about a lot of your clients looking for the best bottles of Bordeaux they can buy. Many, many collections are based on Bordeaux. Do you think that this is still something that you're seeing or do you think that there's being a shift or will Bordeaux always have a place in people's cellars? I think it certainly will always have a place, partly because um, lots of people are looking to lay down for children or something like that. And it is still one of the areas where you can buy wines which are going to be drinking in 20 years. There aren't that many areas in the world where 
you can find numerous wines that, that will still be drinking well then. So I think there's partly that. Uh, secondly, it's really well known and it is one of the first places lots of people turn to when they start exploring fine wine in general. Um, so it's still always going to have that place as a, as a lot of recognisable brand names and as a chance mm. for you know people to start getting into investment. It might not have quite such a big proportion of your cellar as perhaps it used to, um, but it's certainly, I think, still going to remain um, a stalwart in people's cellars. Max, do you remember the first bottle of Bordeaux that you drank that sparked a lifelong passion for Bordeaux? Well, I had a lot in uh, my early bottles, but uh, they yeah. the, the, the one the one that really kind of gave me a bit of interest in in more than just the alcohol and and, and the drink itself is is uh, 1987 out of a vintage, which is not a great one, uh, but it was uh, one of my uncle poured a, a bottle of uh, Aubryon 87, and I was 17 at the time. And um, I thought it was the most extraordinary thing I've ever, ever, ever tried before. And uh, and I thought, oh, there's maybe more than uh, just uh, alcohol content in in, in <laughs> wine and, and and drinks in general. So it did spark a bit of uh, interest at the time, and that's probably the one that I remember the most. Brilliant. What was it about it that you loved so much? It's just when drinks become, it's a bit like food, I guess, it becomes something a bit more than just uh, fulfilling a need uh, to be drunk or to, you know, to to share something with friends. But I think it's actually a bit more, shall I say, intellectual. You start to think about mm. the product itself. Um, a little bit like if you have very fine cuisine, you know, you just don't shove it over mm-hmm. your mouth and then just move on like you would do for, a, um, you know, a McDonald's. Or um, so it's a, <laughs> it, it's a, it, it's something that you start to think about, and this is really the moment you think, hmm, hang on, um, there is something more than just um, a simple beverage here. There, there is a story. There is a, there's plenty in the background, and and that's why it starts to really get your interest and in, and in start to do some research and, and and so on. Wonderful, Henrietta. How about you? Um, I definitely remember it was um, it was one of the events that I was helping out at really early on in at Berry Brothers, and uh, I wasn't obviously hosting the event back then. I was only helping to open up the bottles, and it was a dinner in our long room which is a very small sort of intimate space that we have and before every event we have to open up the wines and, and taste them to check whether things are corked or not and I got to try a 2000 Conseil. I remember being absolutely bowled over by it as a as a wine and I never tasted anything like it um, and it's I mean it still is something that I remember as a really extraordinary uh, sort of revelation and since now having been to Pomerol and getting um, you know, much more of a grasp of how rare it is to find a bottle from there to even try. You know, it was a pretty special one to to be able to taste. And Max, as you've visited the region over the years, how have you seen it changing? Bordeaux is a region that is always looking ahead, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, very very early when when I started going there in kind of a uh, late uh, 1990s, early 2000s, um, Bordeaux was still quite backwards in terms of the technology, the, the, the sellers, and there was a transition between generation and not forgetting that, you know, the 70s uh, were pretty hard. Uh, the 80s were just starting to, to recover. And 1990s were really is the time where there was a, a, a progression. And then so when, when we, we first visited some of the top properties, and I remember taking a customer early on to Chateau Margot, for example, and uh, and they, they couldn't believe that they had the, the tractors uh, pouring the grape from from the, the lorry from the trailer straight into a kind of a, a screw 
uh, a very, very large crew that will then put all of the grapes into into the wooden vat. And it was very kind of archaic. And it's only 2005. So um, mm. so from that moment on to, to where we are today, it's just been absolutely enormous progress, uh, both in the, 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 the vinification technique, uh, in, in, in investments, a uh, huge amount of investments in Bordeaux, and not just at the top end, all the way down to the, the simple wines from the Côte de Castillons. And um, so all across Bordeaux, a lot of investment, a lot of technology, um, a lot of progress in terms of the vineyards and how they, they, they tend the vineyard. They used to farm, uh, they used to crop uh, effectively the vineyards before. I like uh, they, It was just that they didn't, didn't really think about all the uh, repercussions of everything they did because they did it because of their grandparents did it and their fathers did it. Mm. Uh, well, now there's a lot of work in the vineyard and, and a lot of work around you know, the plants itself. And, and the majority of the vineyard and the, vin- so the vintages sorry, are now made into the vineyard rather than into the winery. A huge amount of changes. Yeah, you briefly mentioned vinification techniques changing. Could I ask you exactly what you're seeing? A, a big understanding around, uh, you know, how, as I said, you take that raw material and you, despite the technology, you actually use the technology to to understand more rather than try to interfere with, mm. with the wine. And, and so, you know, uh, a lot of return to... So they all moved to stainless steel uh, tanks, and then for for example, and then discovered actually stainless steel is is actually probably too cold, in in both sense of the the terms, and then so a lot of return to to concrete vat, to wooden vat, and then to actually letting the 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 products. And, and the juice speak for itself. And actually, the influence of uh, of wine critics has been very important as well in Bordeaux because uh, in the kind of late 80s, there was a huge amount of influence from certain critics, which means that Bordeaux was making a, a wine in order to please the critics and the public, mm. um, an instant gratification wine, if you want, when now they, they're starting to return to actually proper terroir wines uh, and then listening to the grape. Uh, and and uh, yeah, making wines uh, with with a view to please people at at the onset, uh, so very early on, but also with capability of maturing for a long, long time, when before you would have either or. So we're just a short time away from Bordeaux en Primeur. Max, how are the producers feeling about the upcoming vintage? I think they are relieved. Is probably the was an yeah. uh, interesting word to use. <laughs> uh, uh, across France last year was a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough year. And actually, we've seen it in the UK as well. You know, the, the weather pattern is very similar. So if for those who, who remember or, or didn't remember during the, lock, the lockdown periods, we, you know, we had pretty, pretty poor weather. It was grey, it was rainy. Uh, and then so it started in Bordeaux early in the spring with a lot of frost. And actually, the majority of Europe was was hit uh, very severely by frost. Uh, probably one of the worst frost events since the 60s. So, so for those that are not uh, well protected against ro- uh, um, frost by being in the right place or by having the technology to protect themselves, they've been massively hit by by that Star Wars. And then obviously, uh, the season uh, had some some. Um, 
uh, rain at the beginning of the flowering, which means that there was even lower level of productions. And then the summer wasn't very hot. And then towards the end of the summer, they they had a lot more, um, you know, luck. And, and uh, from kind of the end of August onwards, uh, things got a lot better. And then they finish on a finish on a high. But Overall, it's been it's been tough. It's been tough across the whole of France, Champagne, Burgundy, the Loire Valley, and then certainly Bordeaux hasn't been spared. Uh, the beauty of Bordeaux, however, compared to to a Burgundy vineyard, is that they they have you know very big vineyards themselves, so they can uh, more easily you know use what they need to make the perfect wines and and leave the rest. So level of production by the bottle will be affected but the quality of the wine is still going to be fairly strong and you taste so many brilliant bottles of bordeaux i'm sure daily if not every other day what makes a bottle worthy of adding to your collection i think you know it's, it's all about people terroir i would say and and the style of wine that you like so people is you know it, it has to for my personal point of view i think if i get attached to uh, a story um, some people a sight, you know, uh, mm. and you combine that. You combine that with uh, the potential of what you can see around you. So, is the vineyard has the perfect exposure, the perfect the perfect uh, soil, and then and the perfect people behind it. And you kind of start to form that relationship in your head of what that could be in in the longer term. And and then I then buy because I get excited about all of that rather than just uh, buy because I heard that a critic said something or or generally say something else. So I kind of liked for my own opinion and then try the wines. And then within the wines, you can see how the quality will then drive the longevity of the wine and something I could eventually keep for, for quite a long time in my cellar. But I do drink you know, regularly from my cellar and then you know, pick and go. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. So you put it back and then you wait a bit longer. And what about you, Henrietta? What are the deciding factors for when you are adding a bottle of Bordeaux to your collection? Well, I certainly think everybody's got a few chateaus or, or, or a few producers who they've tasted, which either because they had it during a special occasion in their life or perhaps they visited it. Um, and I've got a few of those. So, I mean, I always think it's worth collecting something that is special for you as well as as well as looking towards things that are well-known names, because there are understandably reasons why you, why you might want to add those um, to your cellar. Um, but things change so often in Bordeaux in terms of the quality levels in, and changing hands of, of ownership that it really is worth exploring new, um, new producers all the time. I found some real gems amongst things which perhaps underrated in the past that have really started tasting stunning. And I think it's all, always about um, forming your own opinion as well as, as, as Max says, listening to the critics. For Bordeaux devotees, there's something pretty special about the way Bordeaux ages. Max, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? When I talk uh, to, to customers about um, ageing wine and ageing Bordeaux in general, is, uh, I always um, refer to, uh, in, in a world where you want everything to be delivered today, ageing wine is something uh, that goes at the opposite scale of of uh, your your Amazon delivery, so it's uh, and I say it is like uh, looking at something you really really want, and then you place an order, and it gets delivered the following days, which is your imprimeur, uh, and then you have to put it away for twenty years without opening the box. Um, mm. And what's exciting is twenty years later when you do open that box, it kind of uh, overamplify the excitement uh, because there is so much that is a part of you 
within that kind of a you know wine that you're opening it, it's just it, you've got all the memories and and you got you remember how much you pay for it you remember why you bought it you remember all of your life that happened at the moment but yet you're opening it at a different time and you're opening most of the time uh, around a lot of uh, people that you deem you know, good enough to share the moment with you so i think the whole the whole thing about uh, you know opening these wines is is quite extraordinary, and then Bordeaux is very very well geared up to do that. I think it's uh, they're wines that are built for, for for the long the long run, and they built for the long run mm. not because they are over powerful. The power and the extraction doesn't carry a wine forward. It's it's the balance, and the balance come from where it is produced in the majority of the cases. So you know Bordeaux is a cool climate with a lot of rain, uh, a lot of cold, and, and I think. Uh, cool climate wines have got this ability to, through the acidity actually, uh, mm. to, to to last a long, long time. And Bordeaux is definitely one of those. Yeah, you've talked a couple of times about um, instant gratification, wines that instantly kind of give you, what, give you what you want. Do you find that there's a current trend towards people drinking more youthful Bordeaux? Yes, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, we all like very old wines, but at the end of the day, you know, time and money is, is, is often something that gets in the way. And, uh, and I think the winemakers have really understood that making wines that are more approachable quicker is, is, mm-hmm. is a good win-win situation. And I think, I think we are, as, a, you know, as drinkers and collectors, there is definitely a trend for wines that are more, as we say, uh, have buvabilité in French, which means they are, um, they are easier to approach and they are lighter in style yet they have power. And that's the thing that is quite interesting in, in the trend of winemaking. So making powerful wine that you don't know are powerful. Well, let's get back to talking about Bordeaux and the here and now. Max, for you at the moment, what producers are doing brilliant things in Bordeaux at the moment? I think uh, what I was referring to uh, earlier about uh, critics uh, changing or, or having an influence in Bordeaux in the kind of late 80s, 90s and, and 2000s, uh, that has pushed quite a lot of wineries to do things they, they probably shouldn't have done. And actually, Saint-Emilion mm-hmm. has been a region that has been quite affected by it, where actually they were doing a huge amount of extraction. Uh, a lot of the one was made in the winery rather than in the vineyard. And they were putting 200% uh, new oak, which means they would do aging into a new oak barrel and then moving into another brand new oak barrel. Um, and so that would completely erase the kind of uh, DNA of, of the wine, the property, and, and just was sold as a kind of a, a style rather than uh, an origin, if you want. And, and so mm-hmm. I think Centimillion for me is the place to look uh, to look at because Centimillion over the last 10 years has kind of realised all of that and now reutilising all the potential of these fantastic vineyards that they have. And... You know, we we used to rarely. I used to rarely go to Saint-Emilion, maybe you know, two or three days a year, and I spend more time in Saint-Emilion than I spend in any other border regions because I think the potential is absolutely enormous. Brilliant. Are there any particular producers you think we should be keeping an eye out for? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the new up and comings, uh, the likes of Beausejour, Beco, which are right on the top uh, of uh, of Saint-Emilion, near near the centre of the village, uh, Chateau Berliquet uh, as well, which is probably one of the most uh, uh, in terms of the, the situation of Vignard, one of the most beautiful places, and uh, and it's owned by uh, the, the, the people who also own Chateau Canon, which is another great Saint-Emilion properties, um, and also own Rosan Segla, so which is Chanel, and, and they have invested a lot of money into this little property called Berliquet. So uh, another one to watch out for. Uh, early stages at the moment, but Beau Séjour, 
Dufo, so another beau séjour, but which is just across the village. Um, again, uh, a lot of investment in going into the property. The potential is enormous. Uh, Trollomondo as well, uh, fantastic property. They've just finished uh, their brand new cellars. Again, the, the vineyard itself, if you go there, it's just you can see it from the center of town, Saint Emilion. It's got a massive hill, uh, and, oh, wow. and basically the whole the whole vineyard is around this big hill. And, and the wine are going to be absolutely fantastic for, for, for the long term. So these are kind of a few examples. But I said, you know, Saint-Emilion is full of these new up-and-coming up properties who, who were very good in the days, you know, went a bit back uh, to uh, to make some not-so-good wines and then and now back again into making fantastic, uh, fantastic wines. What about you, Henrietta? I would say we're seeing some of the maybe slightly traditionally underrated producers doing some great things. Grand Prix Lacoste, I've been very impressed with recently. They seem to be doing incredibly well, and Chateau Angle Day as well. Some of those ones which I've had a chance to taste recently, the there is a marked sort of uptake in quality. One of my absolute favourite producers, which seems to just improve every year, but apparently I'm not the only person who thinks this, is Obai in um, Dun & Pesach, because their wines just seem to improve every year. And, and I have to say the price gets higher every year as well, which might be why um, I'm not the only one who thinks that. But um, I really think uh, they're doing some, some wonderful things. So if our listeners are looking to get started with collecting Bordeaux, Henrietta, what vintages should they be keeping their eyes out for? Um, I think there are some really good drinking vintages and there are some really good collecting vintages. Um, the mm-hmm. ones I've seen which are sort of approachable younger at the moment, um, sort of 2013, 2017, um, 2009, people are very keen to purchase that at the moment. I think there's also some underrated vintages like the 2014. They are obviously still quite young and some of them won't be drinking well now, but they are still ones which are slightly underrated. So give them a bit of time and they'll be doing great things. And I think of the sort of top ones, the 2016 vintage has been the one that um, has been lauded the most. Brilliant. And what about you, Max? What vintages should we be looking to get into our cellars? There are obviously there are the great vintages which Hendrik um, um, has mentioned. And in 2016, I couldn't agree more. I think it's probably in my lifetime probably one of the best vintage or the best vintage ever made. Wow. I, I think uh, I think you know Bordeaux has the great vintages, and and they have the rest. They used to to have the great, the bad, and the ugly, but uh, but the ugly doesn't happen anymore. So so there are wines I would say for collecting, as Henrietta uh, said. And, and, and wines that are more approachable for drinking, and I think I think it gives consumer a chance to to actually play in Boss Camp and 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 have great vintages for the longer term, and things that are more approachable from from I would say you know uh, weaker vintages if you could call it that way. But I think they're quite interesting because they're very stylistically very different, uh, and I'm a big fan not just for Bordeaux but generally across in the Rhone or or even in Burgundy, I'm a fan of, of kind of lighter vintages. So the 14s, as has uh, been mentioned, the 2011s, 2017, and probably 2021, which is upcoming, are all really, really good vintages that I like drinking at home. Uh, and I go to, it's, they are my go-to places, um, uh, mainly because they are, yeah, they are A, affordable, and B, 
they are extremely well made and drinking very well. So, so these are the ones, and obviously you still have to have the you know, some of the big ones, the 2010, 2009, 2005, the 2000s, or the 16s, which are um, you know the big ones, the the big uh, the big vintage that everybody wants uh, and and will last for 30, 40 years without any trouble. A, a good combo of two. Mm. Henrietta, among your private clients and the wider fine wine market, what trends are you seeing when it comes to buying and selling Bordeaux? So. One thing we've seen is people appreciating fine wine a bit more because they haven't been able to go to restaurants potentially and um, mm, and buy point. it. So people have uh, started appreciating um, really good wine, which might have been, you know, I don't know, 400, 500 pounds in a restaurant and they buy it for maybe 100 pounds a bottle when they're sort of drinking at home. So I think people are appreciating that a little bit more, maybe looking for places where they can bring their own wine and things like that. Um, so there, there is much more of a focus on buying to drink and buying kind of good wine to drink. So I think one of the other things we've seen, we mentioned it a bit before about people drinking more youthful Bordeaux. I think that's mm-hmm. linked in a little bit more. Um, I think we're seeing people buying more youthful Bordeaux, not just for investment, but to drink. Um, and that comes from an understanding of um, that not all vintages of Bordeaux are made for aging, as we've just discussed. Mm-hmm. And it comes from an understanding of, of you know, um, wanting to drink really good wine and wanting to um, to be able to enjoy it, I suppose. Wanting to drink good wine and wanting to drink it right now, yes. Well, yes, exactly. Also I think that. we've all been there. And with your wealth of experience in advising customers on how to expand or even start their cellar, is there any advice you'd like to offer to potential collectors listening? I think diversifying is important. I mean, it's always good to get the... Uh, key names and um, I know a lot of people um, focus on those quite heavily but I think having a range not only gives you the potential for being able to drink some delicious wines further down the line um, but also it is um, as we mentioned there are lots of producers that uh, maybe have just had some investment going into them or maybe um, have potential in the future um, that it's worth it's worth looking at as well just focusing on the top end is not always the only way that you can um, create your cellar. I think looking at second wines as well, they often can be really, really good value and approachable at a younger age. Um, so looking at some um, second wines of the great chateaus, things like Fort de la Tour or um, the Pavillon Rouge de Margaux or, or things which are, um, you know, Echo de Lynchbarge or something like that, you know, find some really good chateaus and buying the second wines can sometimes be a good way of uh, being able to appreciate the wine baking of these great chateaus without the, the price tag. And I think just having just having a good range and, um, and both enjoying the wines as well as focusing on the investment is important. Brilliant advice. Max, when customers look to their own cellars this year, what vintages should they be withdrawing to drink in 2022? Which wines are at their peak right now? Quite a lot of them, if you have uh, been collecting for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess, um, you know, I guess at the lower end of the spectrum, uh, I think the 2008s are drinking very well, and the 2011s as well. So I am drinking some Chasplin 2008 at home, which I think at the time I probably paid around you know, 13 or £14 pound a bottle. And and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so so that that kind of a wine at, at the lower end, and then obviously for the big boys, I think I would go two thousand and five is starting to drink very well. Obviously anything 
uh, older than that is as well. But the O5s in particular are starting to, to come through and, and showing extremely well at right at the top end. I mean, we've talked a little bit about some of the vintages which are uh, which are drinking young. I'm seeing a lot of people um, starting to bring out their 2009s from from their cellar, um, particularly of the uh, probably more middle ground, as as Max says, middle ground or sort of lower um, rated chateaus. I think for some wines as well, you can even go a little bit later than that. So the 2011s, 2012s, things like that. There are certain producers which just are approachable at a younger age. Uh, we're also seeing quite a lot of people um, starting to pull out their 2000s of the sort of really top producers and 2005s. So going for going for things from 2000 at the moment is um, is probably a good bet. Brilliant. Now, Max, I cannot even begin to imagine what your Bordeaux cellar looks like. But personally speaking, are there any particular bottles that you're looking forward to opening from your own cellar this year? Well, actually, my Burgundy cellar is bigger than my Bordeaux one, believe you. Oh, really? Not, but, um, <laughs> um, but I do, but I do have a, a sizable Bordeaux cellar, and uh, and and again, I think you know, um, yes, it is easy to get attracted by by the top names, but I think uh, I really enjoy drinking wines that I paid, uh, you know, anywhere between twenty five pound and, and and fifty seventy pounds. So, so these are the ones I will I'll be drawing for my own consumption at home, and I I have a regular you know drawing pattern. Um, and I have the, the, the luxury of having a set at home, so I can take them from the warehouse and then put them in there and then just go through through them. Uh, I think one of the ones I'm quite looking forward to trying this year is somebody that we've been championing for a little while now uh, called Carme d'Aubryon. Uh, and Carme d'Aubryon is a, a new kid on the block who is probably one of the most sought-after wines in Bordeaux, uh, certainly over the last three or four vintages. Um, but I'm looking forward to see the evolutions as from from the moment we we started working with them, which was in in 2011 uh, and to now. So I've got a few vintages like the 15 I haven't yet uh, uh, tried since we we had them on premier. So something like a 15 or 14 Calm Dobrio would be the ones I'm quite looking forward to to crack open. Brilliant. What about you, Henrietta? Well, I'm afraid my cell is still relatively young at the moment because I only started collecting in uh, 2017. So I haven't got anything particularly to pull out from that. But I have had a few sort of great bottles recently, um, which I've really, really enjoyed. And um, I'd love to try and sort of purchase again for that, uh, for the sort of special bottles, as it were. I mean, some more of the 2007 Obai, which was lovely. I had that quite recently. And also some 2004 Clos de Marquis. Again, these are not, you know, the absolute most expensive bottles you can buy, but they are really, uh, really delicious. Not from particularly Lord of Vintages, but they are um, drinking very well at the moment and, uh, and definitely something I'll be enjoying. Speaking of drinking well at the moment, can you tell us a little bit about the last really special bottle of Bordeaux that you enjoyed? I did try some, uh, it was 1996 Leo Velasquez, um, mm. which I had. Um, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to have the whole bottle to myself. It was, um, I was at a tasting, uh, but it tasted truly special. It was getting to that really nice balance between um, still having um, a hint of that pure fruit um, as well as that really lovely savoury edge um, that you get in, in older Bordeaux. Um, and that was a, pr- a pretty special bottle to get to try. Oh, delicious. And how about you, Max? What was the last brilliant bottle of Bordeaux that you had? Well, Hetty stole my thunder there because... Uh, really? I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, 
Well, <laughs> at least in terms of the vintage, I had the Levi Lascaz uh, not so long ago as well, and I, I, I do admit it was one of the best bottles of Bordeaux I've had this year, but uh, uh, or this last twelve months. But uh, uh, I had my uh, uh, a special bottle Thursday for my wife very recently as well in December, and uh, and we had with a few friends uh, a few bottles of nineteen eighty six Palmer, uh, which oh. I've got to say was uh, absolutely delicious, and and again lucky enough to, to have bought that at the right time uh, for a very, very modest price. And therefore, it wasn't such an expenditure uh, on the day. But um, yeah, the 96s are generally drinking extremely well. And especially for the kind of second and first growth, I think it's uh, one of those vintages, which is absolutely classic. and very, very reminiscent of what I'm mentioning of the 2016 vintage, something very classic classic in a good way so yeah 96 is at uh, at that level are absolutely fantastic amazing perfect so just wrapping up max if i had to push you for just one thing that listeners should take away from today's brilliant conversation whether that be a vintage or a producer to try what would that be vintage well i think we've gone around that but i think uh, you know bordeaux think of bordeaux of an amazing array of different wines and then and then go and indulge in in all this area whether it's in Sauterne or it is in in you know the, the white wines of Pessac Léonien or it is the the wines of the Côte de Castillons and or Saint-Emilion's or or Saint-Estef I think there is so much to offer in Bordeaux and then just move away from this kind of corporate idea of, of the Bordeaux world and think about the quality of wine they produce which is absolutely extraordinary so I am a champion of all the wines in the world but I really like Bordeaux wines for what they are. Brilliant. And how about you, Henriette? If there's one thing that listeners should take away from this, what would that be? I think that um, you shouldn't split things into good or bad vintages. I think there are different vintages for different occasions. Um, We've discussed this obviously quite at length, but I think people do tend to just focus on the big name vintages and assume that's the only route that you can go down. Um, And I think just maybe approaching things differently and, and thinking, oh, actually, this is a vintage that I'm, I can drink now, even though it is quite young, um, is, is probably a good thing. It allows you to be able to take your tailor your approach to um, Bordeaux a little bit differently. Um, and the same comes for just diversifying, as, as Max says, from across the region. Um, you don't just have to go for, for the big names. Going for a, a mix um, can really give your cellar a wide range of potential. Brilliant advice from both of you. Well, all that remains for me to say is Henrietta, Max, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedules to sit down and talk all things Bordeaux with me. Great pleasure. Anytime. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd. If you'd like to hear more episodes or you're keen to learn more about fine wine from our experts, visit bbr.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or you've been enjoying the podcast in general, do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to welcome you back soon. But until then, thank you again for listening to this episode of Drinking Well.